Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 884 with Massimo Noya DeMarco. We were there to provide them with an experience that are going to take with them, that are going to share with their friends, with their family, with everyone else, and let you understand what our culture is made of. That true, genuine Italian hospitality that I learned from Grandpa. Are you ready for It Factors? success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge. Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Today's episode is brought to you by Margin Edge. With Margin Edge, you can track food and labor costs in real time so you can make informed decisions in the moment. And who likes data entry? No one. So you'll be thrilled to hear that there's no more data entry with Margin Edge. They will save your team hours and paperwork by automating your invoice processing with line item detail. Don't worry about tech integration either because Margin Edge allows you to seamlessly connect your POS and accounting systems and get a daily P&L. And on top of all of this, Margin Edge enables you to digitally manage your inventory and recipes. Plus, you can compare actual costs versus theoretical costs. Head to marginedge.com slash unstoppable to sign up for a free demo. And when you use that link, you can try Margin Edge for free for 30 days. No contract, no setup fee. Plus, you'll get free unlimited training and support. That's marginedge.com slash unstoppable. Today's episode is brought to you by Diageo Bar Academy, a company you've been hearing me reference a lot on the show lately, and that's because they're awesome. And I want to make sure you know about some new e-learning courses they have available right now. Diageo Bar Academy is always free with tons of resources that can help you build your skills at your own pace and at any level. So these courses I'm talking about, like the two courses on beer category and Guinness Essentials, just in time for St. Patrick's Day, you'll learn all there is to know about Guinness history and heritage and how you can serve a beautiful, great quality, great tasting pint every time. Learn about different beer styles and even how to enhance your guest food experience with pairings. Or if your restaurant leans more towards the spirits, then make sure you take the interactive course on spirits and food pairings. Knowing what cocktails to recommend for different moments of your guest meal can elevate their dining experience and help you improve your check averages. To learn more about what Diageo Bar Academy has to offer to grow your career, visit www.diageobaracademy.com. That's D-I-A-G-E-O baracademy.com. Become a member and be sure to opt into the newsletter today. It's completely free and you will be amazed at all they have to offer. That's D-I-A-G-E-O baracademy.com. Now, I know you know about Plate IQ, but do you know about Plate IQ's new spend management feature? Okay, let me tell you about it. Plate IQ now offers a new spend management feature, which allows you to issue virtual or physical cards directly with Plate IQ card. With Plate IQ card, there's no credit check, no minimum bank balance, and no personal guarantee required. This feature is great for small restaurants who want to eliminate expense reporting for their employees, but cannot get a corporate credit card issued easily. And I've got to tell you that with Plate IQ card, you can get up to 1% cash back. And you cannot forget that Plate IQ still offers bill pay, incredible insights, and custom approval workflows. To learn more, head to plateiq.com slash unstoppable. And when you use that link, you can save 25% off implementation. 
What up, Unstoppables? We have a great show for you today, but a quick reminder that we do need your support. You can support our sponsors. You can use our affiliate links. You can come hang out in Restaurant Unstoppable Network and be a part of the conversation. But something I'm not that good at and something I need to start being better at is letting you know that all these recordings we do our audio and video. We have a YouTube channel and we would love you to subscribe. Uh, we're really trying to uh, grow that medium and uh, get the word out so we can, you know, continue to do this thing even better than we've already been doing it. So uh, today we're talking to somebody who's been on my radar for a while now, and it wasn't until talking to Troy Hooper uh, during this trip where he was officially called out to be a guest on the show. Uh, he hails from Italy where he was a seventh generation or I should say still is a seventh generation hotelier. Uh, he ran the family business for three years before coming to New York city where he worked in restaurants and eventually opened his own restaurants. Uh, he left those restaurants to open restaurants in Los Angeles. From there, he worked for the Ritz Carlton Marina del Rey and Hillcrest country club in Beverly Hills. So you're starting to get an idea of the, the, the quality of individual we're talking to today. Uh, he also, went on to manage operations for SBE Entertainment and Wolfgang Puck. Uh, this was all before he opened his own boutique consulting firm, PH&E, where he opened restaurants throughout the U.S., Europe, and Mexico. And this, again, is all before what he's got going on today. Uh, today, he has so many titles. He helped launch Kitchen United. He's the CEO of Pi Estro. Uh, he also is a strategic board member for Ghost Kitchen Brands and multiple other robotics companies. Uh, he's, I think Miso Robotics is another big company he's involved in. This guy is an involved and accomplished, and we're about to dive deep into his story. Here he is, Massimo Noya DeMarco. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, co-founder of Kitchen United and the board of directors for Miso Robotics. He's also the CEO of Piestro. Uh, he's the strategic board member of Ghost Kitchens Brands and several other robotics companies. He's also an equity partner at KRP and Nurse Massimo Noya DeMarco. Are you feeling unstoppable? I am unstoppable. Yes, I am relentless. Dude. I feel unstoppable after getting over, over through some of those hard. Um, you would never know my last name's Cacciatore. I struggle I so hard with Italian words, but dude, I'm so excited to have you here. Uh, I've heard such great things about you. You're really challenging the industry status quo, looking into the future. You are a futurist. I know there's going to be some really great stuff that comes out of today's conversation. But before we get into it, let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. What do you got for us? throwing you on the, on the spot here that is me i mean i have many <laughs> but uh here's here's to all the mad ones here's that's my all the mad ones. that is my mantra it's a song also from um famous english singer i can't remember her name adele i think oh yeah adele maybe my pop and he goes not that great Here's to all the mad ones. <laughs> and and I, it's actually my soundtrack when i go on stage i use that how's that song go one more time no, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have the voice for it, but uh, but it's very motivating, and it just it just challenges you to be different, to to co constantly question and do things in a very different way. Where people call you mad or call you crazy, I take that as a medal, as a statement of I'm doing the right thing. 
because challenging the status quo, challenging everything that's been done the same way for the last 20, 30, 40 years, to me, is the way that things yeah. move around. I can't help but think of the quote. I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, I believe, but it's just the quote. That you, maybe you've heard something similar to it, but those who are crazy enough to say they can change the world are the ones that do. Yeah, I yeah. I I'd go with it. Yeah, man. I'd go with it. And you're doing some great stuff, man. You're really challenging your, your the, the the status quo. Uh, people saying that robotics aren't possible, that they'll never be able to replace humans. It's happening, you know. And uh, I can't wait to get into that. But that's not where your story starts. So where does it make sense to start your story? Well, it starts from where I came from when uh, when I was born in Italy, seven generation in hospitality. My mom was a fantastic chef in Italy. My grand 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 grandparents, they are the ones that started the hotels and restaurant industry and in a very, very interesting touristy area packed with American and Europeans and people from all over the world. So I was born and raised between the tables and the bar of a hotel. And at five years old, I was allowed to start making my first cappuccino for our guests. Wow. And that's where, that's where the goosebumps appeared the very first time. I knew that I was all for it. I embraced it. And I, I developed two different passions, one from my mother and one from my grandfather. Mother for the food, being such an excellent chef and falling in love with all the foods that she was making. And grandfather, the love for people. And those are the two characteristics that, again, they give me those goosebumps. Every time I talk about food, every time I talk about meeting new people, I get excited. So hospitality, it's in my blood. I love it. I love every little single part of it. And for me, although I'm in the automation and robotics industry more than the food industry these days, hospitality comes first. Mm. So hospitality trumps everything. Hospitality yes. comes before any machine that we put in there. And you know, I know we'll talk about it, but for me, it's more about helping our industry with the robots instead of replacing the jobs, but helping the operators and also the employees to do a better job by introducing these machines, these robots, and these automated solutions. Yes, man. A great way to get this thing started. And one of the things I like to say, um, I like to focus on not the food because you're opening a restaurant. I hope you can effing cook, right? Like, I hope you can do that. But can you do everything else? Do you understand what else it takes to be successful in this industry? And that's when hospitality and these lessons that you learned very early on in your life come into play. So you said that your your was it your, your grandfather that inspired you with hospitality. So re reflecting back at the lessons he taught you at a young age, what were those lessons that are instilled and in, ingrained into you to this day? The guest is king. Yeah. The guest walks in and it's a friend you haven't seen in a very long time and you open up your the door of your home and make him feel as comfortable as possible. Mm. You miss that person. You never met them, but they are the equivalent of a long lost friend that finally comes back home and you're pulling all the stunts out. You're cooking the best food. You're opening up the best bottle of wine that you have. You give them the best looking chair, most comfortable chair, and you let them look outside to the lake or the view that you have from your window. That's mm. the way you make someone feel special. And that's the whole, the whole secret of hospitality, make, making people feel special and allowing them to leave your, uh, your venue, whether it's a restaurant or hotels or whatever, bar, um, in, in a way that they 
have either learned something or they've appreciated something of that they have been really taken care in a way that they understand that we had their best interest at heart. We wanted them to have a great experience. We were not there to take their money. We were there to provide them with an experience that are going to take with them, that are going to share with their friends, with their family, with everyone else, and let you understand what our culture is made of. Mm. That true, genuine Italian hospitality that I learned from grandpa. I'm so happy you're saying our culture, genuine Italian hospitality, because I have this dream project. Uh, I would love to study what hospitality means to different cultures across the country. What is Italian, genuine Italian culture and hospitality? Exactly what I described to you. doesn't matter if you have a hotel, a restaurant, or it's just your home. Anyone that walks into your home, you pull out the best china, you pull out the silverware, you pull out the best wines. And these these people are, are people that you might not have met. I'm sure you've heard tons of stories of people that had, um, you know, the family origins were from Italy. And after three or four generations, they went back to perfect strangers. They didn't know who these people were. And and these families opened up their home to show them what their ancestors were like. Mm. And you know what they're missing by not living in Italy, not being part of that culture. It's a very happy culture. Every time you sit down at a table is is to celebrate something. Mm. And you celebrate it three times a day. Is there something associated with Italian culture uh, that's very unique to what, like a, a tradition that happens, you, like that's a ritual within the Italian culture that you don't see in other cultures when it comes to hospitality? It's hard to say because I'm not very, you know, yeah. deep into many other cultures. I mean, I, I know them, but at a very, you know, um, some friends level or past girlfriends level. <laughs> yeah. uh, so you learn a lot there. But I think that, for, for an Italian culture, everything revolves around the kitchen. Mm. And I think it, it, it kind of like the Jewish families in the same way, right? So my, my best friends are Jewish from New York City, and I watch them. I spend time with their families in their kitchens on, on a Sunday afternoon, and it was, it was Sunday fun day, the same way that we would do it on Tuesday mm. in Italy. Mm. I love that. Um, so... Uh, what was there ever an expectation for you to stay in the family business? Uh, how long were you working at the hotels before you started to go off and do your own thing? Uh, there was never an expectation. There was a a choice that was made when I came to United States to go into the business. I have I've worked with the family because clearly when you live in the hotel. You have to work in a hotel. Yeah. Why was this your choice? Well, I mean, it, it was your choice. We know why it was because it was you. But what was it that made you choose this? So let's just let's just put it this way. I came to New York when I was 20 years old and I fell in love with the city. In a day and a half, I knew I belonged there. I can't tell you why. I, I still don't know it. But I felt it that that was going to be my destiny. That was going to be my home. And so once I settled in for the first couple of weeks... I had to get a job. And the first thing that I could do was to become a busboy. And I became a busboy in an Italian restaurant. And within you know a week, they looked at me and it was like, looks like you know what you're doing. And I became a waiter. And then I became a manager in less than three months. And just because I knew how to approach people. And, and so I, 
I, I realized that there were so many Italian restaurants around the area, it was the Upper East Side, where there were lines of people waiting outside. I once saw Federico Fellini and Sofia Loren standing outside an Italian restaurant. They were probably 25 deep in the line, waiting to get into that restaurant. So one night, I had a night off, and I went to that restaurant, I tasted the food, and I could not believe it. It was not up to my standard. So the thing that came to me is like, listen, I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed. I don't have the most talent, but I know that I can do a lot better than what these guys are doing here. So I called up a couple of friends in Italy that I went to school with. I did, I did go to the Culinary Institute. Okay. And, and I called them up and they were cooks in a restaurant in Milan and I say, hey guys, you need to come to New York because we got to open an Italian restaurant. We got some opportunities. And, and, and they go like, well, how much are you paying? I'm like, forget about the pay. There's so many beautiful women in New York. <laughs> You're just going to be so happy. And they went, okay, send us a ticket. Three weeks later, I sent these guys a ticket and they moved over a month and a half later we ended up opening our first restaurant. Beautiful people do flock to New York. I can like I noticed that the last time I was there. New York, Texas, I would say Los Angeles, Miami. There's definitely some hot spots in this country, so I, I, I can back that up. Well, listen, I came from the countryside <laughs> of Italy, and yeah, there were beautiful girls over there. Italian women are yeah, gorgeous, but then you land in Manhattan, and you're just whoa what is going on here right yeah and and so that. and for a 20 years old that you know <laughs> yeah you think about food you think about wine and but before we those two you always you always <laughs> you know so um back to something that you said that struck a chord with me you said um the reason why you progress so fast is because you knew how to approach people how do you approach people specifically how were you approaching people how do you approach people in hospitality Big smile on your face yeah. is the first thing, right? That's the biggest business card. And then... Maybe say I, their name correctly when you first meet them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think I think a sense of humor is extremely yeah. important. If, it can, if you can make somebody smile, you know, you might have a great restaurant and, you know, it's well-designed and looks expensive and people come in and they don't necessarily know your menu. So they're a little bit out of their place. And, uh, you know, you see this couple walking in. I've done it in training so many times. Um, couples come in and they look at each other and it's like, honey, what, what, what are we doing? What, what are we ordering? I don't know. What do you want to drink? I don't know. What are you drinking? Well, I don't know what I'm going to drink because I I don't know what I'm going to eat. but So I, I train my entire staff from top, from GM to waiter and bartender to go and approach and start telling them what's amazing about this place. Make yourself the tool. You are the expert already. Yeah, you know what they They don't know want. anything. Yeah. You know better than they know. So if you go out there and, you know, it is as simple as going... Oh my God, guys, I can't believe you're here tonight. Stacy's behind the bar. She makes these incredible mojitos. If you walk out of here without trying one of them, I, be I believe you'll be missing out a lot. If it's okay with you, I'm going to bring you two of those. If you don't like them, you can throw them at me. I'm not going to charge you, but I believe you need to try them. What is a guest going to say? Unless they Sign don't like mojitos. Mojito. If, unless yeah. they don't like mojitos, you know, and it could be, oh, you don't like a mojito. You know what? There is this burning mandarin that Pablo's doing that it's insane. We yeah. already won three awards with that. You've got to try. Let me just bring you some. Control the conversation. The whole thing. Control yeah. the experience. Yeah, the experience. Right? They're there to be entertained. And to, or, or to get the experience, be the experience. Not only I taught my teams that they can change lives any given day by the approach that they have with their guests. People come in and they might be on the verge of a breakup. 
people might want to do something radical just because they're in a bad mood. They might want to go back to their office and fire that one person because they overheard something crazy and they say, no, 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 I can't keep that person. And they just, they just react to it instead of taking the time of really doing a little bit more um, investigating or, or thinking. But if you take them out of that really bad mood that they're in and all they're thinking while they're having that lunch is go back and fire that person and they just keep thinking, they're playing that movie in their head, you take them out of that movie for one second, let them have an amazing experience during that lunch, they're going to, their mood is going to be in a very different place. They're probably going to think about it differently. And when they go back to the office, they're not going to be so angry, not going to be so upset. And they're not just going to act. They're going to think about it and say, you know what? I had such a great day. Why ruin it with firing somebody? Let me look into this a little bit more. Same thing, you know, a couple that comes in that doesn't know what to talk about. They've been married for 30 years. They come into your restaurant. They don't know what to talk about anymore. Give them something to talk about, whether it's you, your personality, or something that you and your chef have prepared for them special. Yes. Let them talk about something because they haven't talked to each other. Now they find something that they get excited about it. At that time, guess what happens? They might go home. Make babies. I don't yeah. know. It is whatever it is, right? But bring them back. Yeah, people man. People that have been together for a long time, that doesn't mean that they don't have anything else to say, even a bit if they have been together for a long time. Find that, find something. So you can change their, their, life, their lives yeah. because you're, you're entertaining them. Yeah, you're making me think. Uh, you're, you're sparking so many memories and all, so, so many of the conversations I've had. And uh, you make me think of this one person I was talking about, the true role uh, the the mastery of a bartender isn't how good they can make the drinks. It's how they can connect people at the bar and entice conversation and bring people together and like just like being there and just like coordinating and just like like you're you're talking about just creating this experience and you can change someone's life in that moment. You can introduce somebody who's sitting right shoulder to shoulder. To, like you know who people are. People who sit down in a bar don't know who's around them. Yep. Be a connector. Take it to that next level. Give an F. Right. Like really care about that that moment that you're curating in that time and like you can change lives. It's so powerful. It's so true. I love yeah, that. bartender have done a lot of uh, introduction to to their to their patrons. Yeah. And there's so many stories of people that got married yeah. because they met at a bar. So right now is a good time. So you, you have this conversation, you you call your buddies back in Italy, you said, boys, it's time to get on a plane. We got work to do in New York City. Um, do you open a restaurant? I did. Okay. Uh, what was the name of that restaurant? I mean, Chimie on West Broadway in Houston. And how long was that restaurant there? Three years. Three years. And then I, then I sold. And what is but, the year And at this point when you open it? That is 1989. 1989. Now we're going to get in our jet plane. We're going to buckle up. We're going to zoom to 30,000 feet. Take us on a journey without getting into any detail, just the stops you made along the way. I mean, Shmiya became extremely successful. Investors start coming in and say, we need to open more location. We need to go to Miami. We need to go here, there, and there. Uh, I ended up opening four restaurants in Manhattan in six years. Um, great restaurants, always Italian. One was Italian and French. And that was, you know, the, I don't know. Four the, restaurants in eight years? No, four restaurants in six years. In six years. Yeah. I lived in New York for six years. And then I married a lovely girl from California, brought me out here to Los Angeles. And I was like, okay, how, how am I going to go back? So we <laughs> sold everything out there and we started businesses out in California. And this is 1994. Yep. Okay. What happens in 1994? You, get, you come to Los Angeles. Yeah. Opened my very first restaurant out here in Los Angeles. 
Um, what was that? Italian restaurant? I Italian restaurant <laughs> called Il Terrazzo with my best friend from New York City, um, Long Island boy, Jewish boy that looks like my brother, talks like me, and people always think that we are real brothers. And so we launched we launched a restaurant together. Okay. And we want we wanted to do that experience out here in California because it was so different for us. So this is your second, uh, your, your fourth. One, you said you four restaurants. In yeah, your this city. was the this fifth, fifth restaurant. restaurant. Yep. Now that you're kind of a seasoned restaurant tour, you've got you know you grew up in this hotel family. Anything you're doing differently at this point? Have you learned lessons? Are you doing things differently, or have you evolved? Yeah, the the big difference was the the learning of all the you know the the numbers and okay. the cost, the food Let's cost, and that. Let's bookmark this because yeah. I got distracted. Let's get back yeah. in our airplane. It's 1994. Zooming back up to 30,000 feet. Yet it's a uh, it terraza. Did I say that correctly? Il terrazzo. Il terrazzo. I'm so horrible. Okay, so 1994, you open that restaurant. What happens thereafter? Uh, we had it running for three years. My business partner uh, became ill. And for, you know, some of the reasons we ended up selling the restaurant and I had a strange idea because I grew up in the hotel business. I wanted to understand how different was the hospitality and the hotel specifically here in the United States versus Italy. And so I went and did an experience with the Ritz Carlton out here in Marina del Rey and I became a director of food and beverage. I had a fantastic time. I learned so much so much at that time the Ritz Carlton was still the premier uh, hotel company and the what value is this time stamp this 90, 19 boof boy it's been a long time so you said how how many years yeah, did you own the 97, uh, 97 97 okay 97 my mind works chronologically yeah. and I like to know how long it takes people to, to, to execute things uh, so you're at Ritz Carlton you become the director of food and beverage how long are you at the Ritz Carlton I was about a year and a half. Year and a half. Yeah. Okay. So. And then, and then, because the crazy person I am, I wanted to know more. So I ended up going to a country club, a very, very private, very, um, very special country club called Hillcrest, Hillcrest Country Club here in Los Angeles. Same thing I did almost a couple of years there. I did a fantastic experience. And then when, when. You know, after the two years, my mom got ill. She was running the hotel. So my wife and I, my then wife and I decided to go back and run the hotel for three years. In Italy. In Italy, yeah. So you're doing that until 19, or 2004. What happens in 2004? Before I even got on the plane to move back, because she, she was from California, so she was wearing a turtleneck in June. <laughs> she wanted to come back. She wanted to come back to, to LA. Uh, and, and of course, I missed it. I missed it too. Um, but before I even got to LA, I received a call from somebody that said, hey, uh, one of my best friends, uh, what was it called from London? And the gentleman says, one of my best friends stayed at ho your hotel and he knows your wife is from Los Angeles and you've talked about going back to Los Angeles. Do you have something lined up? And I say, no, who's your friend? And he told me they actually got married in our hotel and they went back and told his friends such great things. It just so happened that the guy was in charge of human resources for the Compass Group. Compass uh, Group, okay. Yeah. And they said, I th we think that we have a perfect job for you if you go back to LA. And I'm like, yeah, I'm going back to LA. It's like, well, can we set up an interview? I'm like, who is it with? And they say, Wolfgang Puck. Oh. And here we go. There's the goosebumps again, yeah. right? Yeah. 
Um, I, I will never say enough good things about Wolfgang. He is the most incredible human being. He's the most talented of people, um, most charitable. <laughs> most, I mean, the guy is... I, We're going to give you plenty of times to say as many yeah. good things about Wolfgang. What <laughs> happened after that? Um, so I work with him for, uh, for about three and a half years. Yeah, and the only reason I left Wolfgang, uh, I always say to people that I would work for him for free if 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 I had enough money to support myself in a really good way. But uh, Sam Nazarian came knocking at the door. Who Sam knocking? Sam Nazarian from SBE. Okay, and so SBE. SBE. Yeah, got it. SLS Hotels, uh, Katsuya's, C three right now. Um, so Sam made it very very convincing that I needed to go and work with him. Okay. And so I did. Okay. And so I did. And that was around 2008, almost uh, 12 to, years ago. Yeah, about end of 2007, I believe. Okay. Yeah. Um, so what happens? You go to work for him. What happens there? Uh, we opened a whole bunch of great restaurants and nightclubs. Um, we had a fantastic time until uh, the company had a little bit of an issue financially. And so a lot of the top tier uh, were asked to leave. Um, and so that's that's what happened. Got but it. it was a great experience. I mean, we got to open all all of the Katsuyas. Katsuyas were my babies. Got it. I call them my little Japanese babies. Gotcha. Okay. So what happens, uh, what year is it when you start to lose your, your position with uh, the SBE group? 2009. It was it was during the, you recession. Know, the recession. Got yeah. it. Um, what, when do you start to gear up? But after you, like you recover from the recession, what's, what's new, what's going on in your life? So while that was happening, I decided to launch a consulting company Okay. that would help restaurateurs get back in gear. There was a lot of issues because of the recession and people really needed help. And there's so many restaurant brands out there that have, you know, two, three, four, five restaurants and they still, you know, they were still hurting and you know they lost a lot of their business and they didn't know how to bounce back and so i thought that with my experience i could get i could give a lot and was incredibly successful i brought in a very talented partner uh dana hatitam she's actually uh on the executives of uh ghost kitchen brands right now she was also not in paper, but she was a co-founder at Kitchen United with me. Um, the whole idea of Kitchen United started on her uh, coffee table, actually. And so her and I started designing restaurants and building restaurants and and launching them for 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 people that needed to, whether it was a, a revamp or changing. I mean, we, we went in and we took over an, a restaurant and we worked overnight, 24, 24 hours a day to put it back into place with new design and new technology and all of that it, it, for four or five days. So in four or five days, we turned a restaurant around, turned the concept around, uh, hire people, launch it, and then hand the keys to, uh, to the brand. So this is Kitchen United. This is no, off- no. That was not Kitchen United. That was called Positive Hospitality. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, Positive Kitchen, Hos- United, Kitchen United came later. So anything in between Positive Hospitality and Kitchen United? No, not really. Okay. Um, when did Kitchen United come? Kitchen United, we started working on it in 2016 and was launching early 2017. Okay. Um, and then anything between that and now? 17 and now? Um, a million different things. A million different things. Let's <laughs> let's shelf it from there. Let's start yeah. to drill down. I think you give us a lot. A ton. 
<laughs> we're gonna squeeze this all in, but we're gonna do our best. Well, now. you want to really know excited. why? You want to know why? Uh, I mean, Kitchenada was born. Why was Kitchenada? Kitchenada was born because as Dane and I were designing all these great restaurants, we realized that at that point, which was about oh seven years ago, we yeah. never designed a restaurant that was optimized for the delivery. And with all the massive amounts of uh, orders that were coming in at lunch and dinner time to through all the different platforms, Grubhub, Uber Eats, and so on, the restaurants were struggling. A, they didn't have the room. They didn't have a second line for the off-premise. They didn't have the room to set up all the containers. They didn't have the shelves to put all the bags and everything else. And they didn't have the place where the drivers could come in and pick up the food. And also, they had a packed dining room so all the orders were coming in lunch and dinner time and they had to shut down the the uh, the platform and not taking those orders coming in because yeah because otherwise they would make their people in the restaurant wait for an hour for their food right so they shut it down so left tons of money on the table so you realized this in 2017 like three years before the rest of the world no 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 2016 16 it took us yeah it was probably end of 15 beginning of 16 we actually designed a couple of restaurants that way but then we realized that there had to be a better way there were so many restaurants that were going through the same issues and one day and one day we decided that we were going to find a location where we're going to put a whole bunch of these restaurants and let them cook the food and we take care of everything else okay let's let's uh let's go all the way back to where we started on our airplane ride it was way back to 1994 um you opened uh this restaurant i believe yeah four restaurants in six years now it's 1994 you opened the italian restaurant in um Los Angeles. Los Angeles, your partner gets sick. Take us to that point where what, what did you learn up to this point that you weren't doing yet in your restaurants that you learned with the first, say, four restaurants in New York City? Systems. Systems. Systems okay. was the biggest challenge, right? Yeah. I'd learned a lot through the restaurants, but again, they were run with the heart, mm. with the hospitality. Mm-hmm. So the margins were not what we wanted them to be. Our, our top of the line sales were through the roof. Yeah. But, you know, we're also buying drinks. We're making margaritas in Italian restaurants. Sales were up, but expenses were up too. Expenses were up too, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. But we were living the life. Yeah. We were having a hell of a great time. So what changes in your business did you start to make to change that, to, 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 to be more focused on systems and profitability? It's an eye opener. You, you realize that you have ran your business the way that it felt right, but it was not right. Because ultimately, all the people that are working for you, you're responsible for. And if you get to a point where you cannot make your payroll because you didn't account for something right, and then all of a sudden you got to pay taxes and you haven't paid too much attention to that. That is a big that is a big eye opener. It happened to me. Mm. It happened that I had to pay a whole bunch of money of tax in taxes and I didn't know how I was gonna pay them without, you know, taking the money yeah. off of my employees. That was the that was the biggest smackdown because I love the people that work for me yeah. and I would not want them to wait one day. Yeah, you know, I learned a lesson. Uh, I, I got in trouble with taxes at one point, too. It's easy if you're not putting money away just regularly for taxes. Like, it gets away from you. You forget how much money you're making. You're not tracking money. Um, profit First has been a, a game changer for me using this Profit First money management system. And it, the mentality is 20% of every dollar you make is not your money. You can't spend that. You have to put it away for the IRS. Get a checking account every month, whatever money came in, 
allocate it and take 20% of that total revenue and just put it away. It's not yours. What did you do? What was your process for never making sure this happened to you? Again? Can I just make you laugh for a second? Please. I'm Italian. You know, when I realized that I had to pay sales taxes, I'm like, sales taxes? <laughs> we don't do that in Italy. Just kidding. I'm just kidding. But um, once you realize that you got to be careful with your taxes, you really got to, it's easy for it to get away from you. What did you start doing differently to make sure that never happened again? No, it was, a, was about not not really giving away the house just to make sure that everybody was happy to come back to your place, right? Mm -hmm. And and again, I, I think that understanding that my employees needed to pay their bill, mm -hmm. and if I was late for them, they could be thrown out of their apartments. Yeah. Or they might not have enough money to, you know, put food on the table for their families. It's your responsibility. That, was, that is your responsibility. Yeah. That's 100% your responsibility. So I as I say, it was a big smackdown for me and it really put me in my place and, you know, very humbly went back and figure out a way that I was still going to do what I was doing, but also making sure that I had a nice stash away for my employees. So I was living the life. I was spending the money. I was going on vacations too, right? So I'm assuming you figured yeah. it out. You're yeah. still here. You're still. So what did you figure out? How did you start doing things differently to execute on what you realized you had to do well first of all hiring somebody to do the accounts yeah, right the yeah. accountability you know the receivables and all that but also not again not giving away you know we were giving out things on in on charity uh we were involved in every little league we were involved in every hospital event and all of that stuff and we were sending food over and you know at the end, it all comes back and hits you that, you know, you, you have to pay your vendors. I'm like, why did I spend so much money this month? Oh, yeah, because I did that or because I did yeah. that. Oh, why is the liquor cost so high? Well, you know, you got to stop making pictures of margaritas for people as soon as they walk in the door. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, there is something to be said about being generous and having faith that that generosity comes back to you some way. But you have to track it. You can't just assume. Right. You have to pay attention to what money is going out. Um, so, what, did you develop systems for that, or does this come later in life? Do you think? No, I brought I brought in a very talented accountant yeah. that really showed me how it's done. Did they change any behaviors in you? No. No. Okay. No. So. Um, Eventually, you mentioned your partner gets sick, he, he gets ill, the partnership dissolves, the restaurant dissolves, and you decide that you want to see what hospitality is like, hotel specifically, in the United States, and you, you choose the Ritz-Carlton, which is a great brand to be a part of. Hertz Schultz, past guest on the show. Love that guy. Um, did you get to work directly with him? Nope. No? Um, what did you learn at the, the Ritz-Carlton? The credo. The motto, you know, it's like we're, we're, we are ladies and gentlemen serving yes. ladies and gentlemen. What, what could be better than that? Yeah. What does that communicate to you? That there, you need to take pride in what you do. Mm. If you're there to be hospitable, do it with tremendous pride. And, you know, if you, if you look back at some of the misconception of what the, a waiter is, you know, people think about, yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a poor people job. That's that's people that can, you know, they don't have another job. They need to do that job. It's a tough one to is do. Is that the same in Italy? Is yeah, that it is. For, is it? Yeah, I mean, yeah. Um, I want to say that, I want to say that if you are a young guy and you're going out and you tell a girl that you're a waiter, she probably won't date you. <laughs> <laughs> That's too bad. Um, so, what? Why? What has, what? What's the case here? Why is that the case? Why is there no pride in this work that we do? 
I don't know if there is no pride. There is different things. You know, the interesting thing is that when you see the Italians coming to the U.S. and working in Italian restaurants, especially in New York City, right, where where hospitality is king, you you see that these waiters they understand their power because they have such a big knowledge. Mm-hmm. They can talk to you uh, about anything from Timballo di Ricotta to the to the Vermentino from the you know Terrazza Retiche to anything because it's in their culture they know it mm. they know it. they don't have to make it up so they have this such a big knowledge they're almost like a cicerone for anybody that comes in and sits at your table so people would come in and listen to the stories of waiters and and just walked out and was like this was incredible such a great experience yeah. it wasn't about the food yeah it was about the entire experience. I love that. Uh, so back to the Ritz Carlton working, you, you learned it's, it's ladies and gentlemen serving ladies and gentlemen. I mean, I'm a huge fan of the culture the Ritz Carlton was able to create. Did, did you learn other key elements about how to create culture or just business in general under this, this, this group? Not that I can't think of. Okay. What, I, what I learned there, I learned a lot more about French cuisine because there was a very talented chef named Chef Gerard Rossi and uh, Michelin star. And then there was a pastry chef that then became one of the, you know, a couple of years later he left and he became the winner of the Bocuse d'Or. And so incredibly talented people. And then there was a young, 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 very young, I'm gonna say it again, very shy young woman that I hired as a assistant pastry chef for Gerard. And this woman's first name just happened to be Jada, as in Jada de Laurentiis. Okay. And uh, and it was any you know just watching her grow through the years was just unbelievable. When I remember that she barely talked to anybody, she spoke to me a lot because we communicated in Italian. On Thanksgiving, she brought in her whole entire family, including the the greatest man, uh, Dino de Laurentiis. And, and, and so it was an incredible learning experience there. I learned tons about the French cuisine, which I really didn't know. Okay. So um, I know you made a stop back home in Italy. You said from there you had an opportunity in 2004 to become uh, the, the HR from Compass Group approaches you for, for an opportunity with Wolfgang Puck. Where does it make sense to go to next? Is it worth hovering over your, your experience back home in Italy? Anything significant that we can garner from your experience back home? I don't know. I think I think that we need to go forward to forward. really understand what what drives me today. Okay, let's take a quick break to thank our sponsors, and we're going to go forward to what drives you today. Today's episode is brought to you by Margin Edge, a software platform for restaurant people by restaurant people. To be successful in the modern age, you need to be efficient by streamlining your processes and creating automation. Simply put, Margin Edge means data streamlined and insights automated. With Margin Edge, you can track food and labor costs in real time so you can make informed decisions in the moment. And who likes data entry? No one. So you'll be thrilled to hear that there's no more data entry with Margin Edge. They will save your team hours and paperwork by automating your invoice processing with line item detail. Don't worry about the integration either because Margin Edge allows you to seamlessly connect your POS and accounting systems and get a daily P&L. On top of all of this, Margin Edge enables you to digitally manage your inventory and recipes plus 
Plus, you can compare actual cost versus theoretical cost. Find out why over 3,100 restaurants are thrilled to be using Margin Edge. Head to MarginEdge.com slash Unstoppable to sign up for your free demo. And when you use that link, you can try Margin Edge for free for 30 days. There's no contract. There's no setup fee. Plus, you get free unlimited training and support. That's MarginEdge.com slash Unstoppable. One more time, MarginEdge.com slash Unstoppable. We are back and I'm really excited to kind of to, to dive into your businesses that you built. I want to get into that, but we can't just skip over the lessons you learned from Wolfgang Puck. He said he, he, nothing but respect and, he, and admiration for this guy, right? What were the biggest lessons he taught you? One or two? One or two. Um, I, I want to say the man is almost selfless. Mm. He is so incredibly generous. He's so giving. He's so charitable. And uh, he he has done so much, not just for the world, but for his employees, for his company, for everyone that's ever been around him. They know what I mean. It's just something that you 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 don't find in any company. Mm. The man is a true leader and someone that you go to battle for any given day. And and I also want to say that you know his his commitment commitment to his his guest mm. his king mm-hmm. How, he, he, go would, he would go he would go to every single table in every restaurant he would go to four restaurants in one night I went with him and we would go f- from restaurant to restaurant to restaurant to restaurant and he would make sure that he go to talk to every single table where they, whether they were local that he's known for 20 years or people that came from Australia Europe or China it didn't matter he would go to the table say a joke say something funny um, some people might not even know who, who he was and how famous he was, and yet he would go over and entertain and give him a piece of him every single day. And that's, it, 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 he did that tirelessly. Mm. What, would you, what was he executing in doing this? Genuine hospitality. Yeah. Making people understand that uh, he was there for them. He always asked them if they enjoyed what they were having, if there was anything that they were thinking that they might have had that he could actually go and and make in the kitchen. Yep. I've yep. seen him jump behind the the you know uh, the kitchen counter and make things for people. I, I want to get to the point. Thank you for diving into that. I want to get to the point where we start talking about Kitchen United. Uh, before we do that, you spent a good chunk of your career helping struggling restaurants. And yeah. I, I'm curious, before we kind of get into your latest projects, you were helping restaurants with two, three, or four locations uh, kind of bounce back. What was the common denominator in these restaurants that were you know, floundering at this point in their stage? And how? what were the... The, the most common things you would do to help them bounce back. So I think there's lessons in here that we can, our listeners can really benefit from before we move forward. Yeah, I think training was one of the most important keys, right? Yeah. A lot of these restaurateurs, they didn't have the most talented employees just because they didn't take the time to screen the right employees and or they didn't take the time to train them properly. So their turnover was massive. So they would spend so much money um, training a new employee that then in turn would not stay, yeah. right? And so you, when you're training somebody, it means that somebody in a higher position in that restaurant, whether it's a general manager or the chef, is taking time out of the operation to actually teach and train. Yes. And so that's a 
ton of money that is wasted. Okay. So what were you doing? How would you help them get better at this? Or how, how would you help them not lose as much money training? Well, one of the first things that we always proposed as, uh, you know, in the engagement was an HR training. Uh, how you hire, how you interview, how you get the best out of, you know, the best answers out of people and what to keep in consideration. Um, and so that was extremely important. People were getting in trouble because they were doing the stupidest things in uh, during uh, during the interviews. You know, even the way that they stored um, um the resumes, right? You know, the people walking in and then I see them taking the resume and say, okay, thank you, we'll take care of it. And they'll throw them in the garbage. You know, that's, no, no, it's against the law, oh. right? So people didn't know that and they ended up finding themselves, you know, with a lot of fines, whether it's because they didn't have the postings at the bar posted, right? They didn't have a ramp for the handicap. They didn't, you know, all things that brought me back to that point of where, I'm running my restaurant with heart, with my heart. So I felt for them, and I'm, and I wanted to show them what I learned and how you could do better, so that that little amount that you were getting, you know, we, you were getting by at the end of the of the month, it would get a little thicker, right? Mm -hmm. And so that that was our goal. And then you know, designing the menus and and creating uh, using. Uh, the same type of ingredients for a number of dishes. So you had cross utilizations. People thought that if they had a million different ingredients, made them their menu better. If they had a huge menu, made their restaurant more interesting. And it was never the case. Yeah. What happens when you do that? When you have this massive menu? You got tons of waste. Yeah. Tons of waste tons and tons of, waste. of training too. Right? Like yeah. back to that whole training issue, like you making it more difficult. You're making your work more difficult to train that person up. Keep it simple. Do a few things really well. Right? Yeah. And, and, you know, if you think about a busy restaurant and you have uh, a number, a, a large number of, uh, of menu items, you don't do the all day. I don't know if you know what an all day is, what right? What is an all day? An all day is when, you know, you have a whole bunch of orders that are coming in and you look at it and you got, oh, great. I have uh, four calamari here and I have save seven uh, pasta fettuccine and I have, you know, three of the chickens. And so you do them all together. You don't cook one at a time, right? If you have so many ingredients and so many different items, the ch chances are you're doing a lot of different things and that takes a long time. Right, it takes the same time to make a pasta for one and a pasta for five. Yeah, but if you make it in a big pan, talking you know, about units cuts. of work. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. If you're gonna do the work, you might as well be efficient with it right. and do more. It's it's like it's the same argument. If you're opening a restaurant um, that has ten seats, you have to do the same amount of work to open that restaurant if it has 150 seats. Correct. Um, you're still doing the same amount of work. I don't know. I, I get the analogy. What are, what are your thoughts on that? That that analogy of like, if you're opening a restaurant, you might as well open a big one. I am actually, I go the other way. Okay. I, yeah, I agree with you on that. Why is that the case? It's just because you have a better control. If you want to open your own restaurant. Now, if you're thinking of opening a chain or a group of restaurants, that's a whole different story, yeah. right? And then you have to have the systems in place. You need to make sure you do it right the first time because it's good to be successful once. Uh, you could be lucky. You do the second time. You might not be as lucky, but you can get lucky again on the yeah. third one. You're screwed. You're yeah. done. You're finished. And you have to have butts and seats, and it's much yeah. easier to fill it 10 seats and then scale into 
150. But if you start with 150 and people don't know about you, then you're just throwing money away because that's lost real estate. Well, and the other thing is that people don't know how to market themselves. Yeah, yeah. They, they didn't. Now it's getting better. And, you know, with the digital era and, you know, digital marketing, although there's still a lot to be said about that, but, but people really didn't know how to market themselves. Yeah. Um, did you help that? Yes, absolutely. What was your general, like the, the most common advice that you'd give people, the most basic things you'd give people to help them turn around their marketing? Well, community engagements. Yeah. Because a lot of the people that we work with were local restaurants that you went around town and you start asking, hey, do you know about these guys? And no, where are they? They're yeah. two blocks down the street. Oh, I've never been there. How long have you lived here? All my life. And you haven't been there. Food is amazing, by the way. And they go like, really? And so, you know, just... just understanding that if you're into community you need to leverage that community yeah and it's not necessarily about the chamber of commerce or anything like that but be be part of the community engage the community in a lot of different ways and right now digitally you can do it a lot easier than you used to do right before we used to send you know when we did the um the consulting we always send out street teams you know young boys and young girls that you know were out of school and they needed a few hours to 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 fill in and we'll send them around and you know and talk to them being the ambassadors of the brands sometimes bring samples um not not necessarily all the time but it was very interesting that people did not know that this type of restaurants existed in that area why young people why were you targeting young people to be the ambassadors uh, just because there were people that could come to work two or three hours on the fly they would call in and say hey can i come in it was like almost like you know yeah. the original gig worker, right? And honestly, I think yeah, yeah, that. And I think young people and feel free to disagree with me. They're the early adopters. That you see it with social media. Whatever young people are doing with social media, five, ten years later, that's the new hot thing. People tend to trust or trust the opinion when it comes to social, like like what's happening now, what's cool, where to go, what to do. They follow the young people. Yeah, is that a, is was that part of your strategy? No, mine mine was really I identified that as a source of labor that you could get very easily and you could let them pick what they wanted and they get so excited because not only I paid them but also let them have the food for free. Oh yeah. Okay. And so that got them excited because they fell in love with one of the dishes and will they go out on the street and go out to an office and talk to that executive assistant that orders eight or 10, you know, dishes or 15 dishes on a Friday or Thursday, they would get her excited. Right. Yeah. I love if, you, that. if you, if you have that conviction, you yeah, go over and you're relative. a young boy and you say, you haven't had that fettuccine, blah, 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 blah. And, and she go, no, I love Italian food. How come it's like, oh, well, you should come over, right? Well, I think the word relativity comes to my mind. And relative to a young person, 18, 19, 20 years old, whatever the age is, to get paid and to have a free meal, like, that's a big deal. Like that, you're great. You're going to be enthusiastic about that. You're going to be excited about that versus somebody who maybe be 35. They might have eaten more. They might have had a more broad palate. Right. They might not appreciate a free meal as much. They're less likely to be enthusiastic about that. And the enthusiasm is what sells. Yeah, and we actually took it one step further. We had the young, young employees um, test new items and new menus and see because a lot of the restaurants were never catered for the younger generation. Mm -hmm. They all had a certain type of menu that would appeal to a broad uh, spectrum. 
but never anybody had done anything for that group, right? The 15 mm -hmm. to 20 years old. Yeah. And now we started testing some interesting things, you know, like, you know, like that, some fried chicken sandwiches with different flavor, kimchi or, you know, like Korean style yeah. or, and, and, and the, these kids would go like, are you kidding me? This is perfect for us, right? And so on Saturday afternoon, we do 50% on it and they bring their friends and they come over and have the uh, kimchi fried chicken sandwich. Yeah. What are you accomplishing by giving them 50% and just getting it out to their friends? Are you just trying to get to grow? Just get exposure, get yeah. them hooked, right? Yeah. It's like a drug. Once they fall in love with it, they're going to come back for more. Yeah. And you're <laughs> reinforcing a very early lesson that if you ever give anything away, don't make, don't donate money, give away food. Yep. Donate in the form of food. You have to put food in mouths. That's your marketing. Yeah, and, and look, the one other thing that I did always and I will always do is in my restaurant, anybody that comes in and is a vendor, if you are my plumber, if you're my electrician, if you're uh, the guy that takes care of my dishwasher, every time you come in and you service my machines, you're going home with food. Mm, why? Because if, you know, first of all, you never have a problem on a Monday afternoon. It usually happens on a Friday or Saturday night or on the weekend when nobody works. And if you're losing your power or if your refrigerator is not working, nobody's coming mm -hmm. unless these guys become your family. And so you call him on a Saturday afternoon and say, hey, Joe, my walking cooler just died. He goes, I'm on my way. I was going to go to my kids, uh, you know, little t-ball game, but I'm coming over. Yeah. He's going to get fed. <laughs> Not only get fed, he yeah, got fed the whole entire time. It doesn't matter. Too. If he yeah. comes over and he's got to change, a, you know, like a, a what goes not a light bulb, but yeah. No, it's just making them feel like they're part of the process. Uh -huh. You know, they would go home and it's not it's not just about this, but they go to the, again, they go to the kids' t-ball game. Yeah. They're sitting there watching the game, who they're talking to, right? Yeah. They're talking to their friends. It's yeah. like, oh, by the way, you know, I know this restaurant, you know, I take care of, you know, their, their refrigeration. So, so, so we should go one night, right? Yeah. Because it's just absolutely amazing. What happens when they come down? They come down, yeah, they pay for the food, but they, they get a free bottle of wine or something, yeah. right? So it's like, it's that... Um, constant touch, you know, you tell one person who tells one person who tells one person and the many, the more people you have that are happy with what you have provided and the more people you'll have coming Talking ahead. and yeah. spreading the word. Yeah. I love it. Massimo, you've been patient. I know you really want to talk about Kitchen United. I think we've reached the point where we can start to really dive deep into this. Uh, so the, the, go ahead. You yeah, want. I think that that's, you know, Kitchen United is just almost like a springboard there yeah. because yeah. that's what happened during Kitchen United and after Kitchen United has really been what what I can't wait to get up every morning and do. So you know? you, okay, so to, to set the stage again, uh, 2016, Kitchen United, you identified that there's no restaurant that's optimized for delivery and you see a huge opportunity like what's going like take us to that point i don't want to put words into your mouth like what's going through your mind why are you starting kitchen united what's your mission the mission was to help restaurateurs like me getting the maximum out of these um third-party delivery systems that as i was saying earlier unfortunately they couldn't take advantage of okay so all the way back to 2016 you're, you're seeing third-party platforms what are your thoughts how do you feel about these platforms at this point uh, they have done a lot of great things for for the restaurant i know that they're expensive and you know some sometimes they're too expensive but still they have helped move the ball forward 
with technology. Okay. And and in the implementation of those um, DSPs has helped people. What's a DSP? Um, deliver service provider. Got so it. Uber Eats, Grab, gotcha. and so on. Um, and so the, these people, um, people have got acquainted with picking up their phone and being able to get the food by just you know ordering on their phone. Wasn't there before. Mm-hmm. Now it's so simple. If people get used to it, that's pro- that propelled the entire technology uh, revolution in the restaurant. Yeah. Um, so you, with Kitchen United, recognize that there isn't a, a, a resource available to restaurants to maximize the return with these third-party platforms. And you wanted to be that. Yeah. What was your strategy? So we provided a, an optimized space, very small space that could be manned by one or two people that was fully dedicated into the production of food. Um, and and we would take care of everything else. So your initial identification was that there needs to be a whole separate line for delivery. Yep. Why? How did you come to that conclusion? Just because of all those orders that were coming into the restaurant that they could not execute. Yeah. It was impossible. It was people bandwidth. tried it. A bottleneck issue. It was a bottleneck. Yeah. People tried. And and again, they didn't have the space to put the bags and the containers and the, the sauces and and the accoutrements and and, and the, you know the the plastic where that goes with it. And then they didn't have the room for for the drivers to come in. I once sat uh in a restaurant where I got bumped like five times within 20 minutes by the drivers because it was so close to the bar and the drivers were going over to the bar to grab uh, their food. And I turn around at one point, I'm, I'm, I'm almost getting pissed. And then I see the, the worst scene possible. The guy grabs, you know, reaches over the bar to grab the food. It's got stain all over his armpit. Oh, man. And he's putting it on the face of this young man that's sitting at the bar eating Whoa. his meal. And I saw his face and I'm like, no, no, there's got to be a better way. <laughs> yeah. There's got to be a better way. Yeah, of course. And so, and, and, and the second thought was, here, here's the biggest challenge that you have when you have a restaurant and that, that you love and it's on the west side um, of Los Angeles and you live on the east side or, or just across the 405. You know, people don't cross the 405 to go out to dinner. Okay. That's a big problem, right? So if you have a restaurant that you love and you really want to have, let's just say Cantor's Daily, but you're in Santa Monica, you can't get Cantor's Daily. Or in Pasadena, you can't get Cantor's Deli. So we open up in Pasadena, we bring Cantor's Deli. Why? Because we wanted to be able to bring the food as close as possible to the consumer. Mm. And that's the trend, and it keeps going. And then you'll see, we'll talk about it in just a little bit, what the goal is, really bringing the food as close as possible to the consumer. So the first step was the ghost kitchen. Mm -hmm. So bringing a ghost kitchen in an area where that brand or that restaurant is not present and be able to provide it to someone that wanted to have it at that point, and all they had to do is go in on their phone and say, okay, I'm ordering Cantor's Daily right now. So I'm curious, when uh, if I'm picking up my phone, I'm going to order food, uh, I'm new to the area, uh, maybe I'm at my Airbnb, and I do like kitchen, food, restaurant near me, I see all these options. Am I clicking on the restaurant that is the original OG restaurant and and thinking that it's coming from there, but is, is it redirecting in the back end? Not, not necessarily. Okay. Yeah, it's being redirected. You are, um, you're geofenced. Okay. So geofenced means that you're going to be directed to the closest uh, 
outlet yeah. of that brand, whether it's a ghost kitchen or a restaurant, it doesn't matter, is the closest because the algorithm calculates which one is the closest to your position right now. So as far as the user interface goes, um, if I have these multiple ghost kitchens, do you, as the consumer, never know where that ghost kitchen is? Are you, as far as you're concerned, like, is it coming from that original location? Like, at what point, I guess, I don't know, in the back end setting this all up is, I guess, where I get kind of confused. If you're a restaurant owner, you want to recreate this, you develop a whole second line out of a commissary kitchen or a ghost kitchen. Do I create a Google, like, no, you don't Business have to do or? anything. You let us do it. Okay. So what yeah. would you do in that situation? We provide the technology. We provide something that actually, you know, at Kitchen United, we did something, you know, I want to say, first of all, we were the first ghost kitchen in the United Before States. Before they right? were, what were so, you calling it? We, we didn't even call it. It was like, you know, we, we're, we're setting out a whole bunch of restaurants for delivery. Yeah. Right? It was off-premise. We thought about off-premise uh, kitchens yeah. or something like that. And then somebody come out and just give it a name. Okay. And we went with it. Okay. Right, people started costing, calling dark kitchen before the ghost kitchen. Yeah, and we were like, okay, that's fine, right? Yeah. It, it it really doesn't matter. So no, so we set up everything. You, you as a restaurateur, you have just to say, okay, I'm bringing two of my people. I'm gonna put them on that line that you designed for me. I'm gonna tell you, you tell me as a restaurateur, you tell me you need a grill, griddle, uh, six burner, whatever you need. You need a refrigerator, you need a freezer, you need that. We have it all set up for you. You come in we turn on the gas, we turn on the light and you go to work because you have your printer or your KDS, your order are coming in. If your employee is already training one of your restaurants, it doesn't feel the difference. It's still, you know, it's got all the ingredients in front of him. It's got the printer or the KDS. It's executing against it. The beauty is it doesn't have to stray away from doing the food. My goal was let the cook do what they do best, which is cooking the food. I don't need them to go around and cleaning. I don't need to look for pots and pans and plates and dishes and go wash this and wash that, uh, clean the filters at the end of the day. If I'm paying somebody $25 a, uh, an hour I, because it's a talented grill cook, I don't want them to spend two and a half hours cleaning the hood and all of that stuff or so how many, washing the floor. How many lines would be in one unit? In in. Kitchen I, when we opened, we had 13, 13 kitchens. So you had 13 13 kitchen, lines for 13, 13 lines brands. For 13 brands. Yeah. Um, and were you using one location for multiple brands, or would you, find, would you do a site location for one brand only, and they would own that space? They would earn own their little space, right? Their line yeah. was dedicated to that brand. Got it. Right? But in the ordering system... When you went to Grubhub or Uber Eats, you would see both. You would see the brand popping up and you would see Kitchen United and Kitchen United Mix. And then we created our own technology, which is Kitchen United Mix, where you could go on a website or you could get on your phone and you just go into Kitchen United Mix and you could mix and match. My my Order idea. a salad from this brand, correct. a sandwich from right. that brand, and have it all come out. So this is how I raised my money because okay. nobody wanted to give me money because they were like, "You're crazy. This is crazy." And I'm like, "Yes, yes, yes. thank you Call for me that." Crazy, one Call more me time. crazy. Yeah. I'm the bad one. <laughs> and so uh, the moment they say that, I'm like, "Great. Here's the deal. Now you are home. You have two kids and a wife. You want to have a pasta." but your wife wants sushi and the kids want one wants pizza and one wants hot dogs. What do you do? You're going to go and grab up. Sure. What are you going to do? Four different orders. What? And maybe you don't find a sushi on grab up. You have to go to Uber Eats. So there's four different orders that four different delivery charges. Um, 
And then they're all going to be delivered at four different times. Four different tax or the tax. Will be all same. of that. Different four, charges. Different right? times. Different yeah. times. If yeah. You have that half hour, maybe, of family times that you can sit and your food is not there. The kids got there. Your wife's got lost. Yeah. And so how do you do that? Or the driver ate it. <laughs> yeah, the driver ate it, or you know, you have half of your French fries because somebody decided to dip in. Um, and so my goal was like, look, if you want these four things, you come into Kitchen United Mix, you you pick up your phone and you order all four things, one delivery charge, one click of the button, and they get there all at the same time. So there's multiple lines in one location. Yes. So was that the plan from the very beginning? Yes. And how many different locations would you have? Well, different cities. We we built we built different locations. But you would have. But the whole idea was to 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 get locations close to the consumer, so it would have to go shorter distances. So you'd have multiple locations in multiple cities. Yes. Okay. And would you have multiple concepts in multiple locations? Yes. And how? Like, where? I'm. This is still going to to this day. When the the idea was 2016. When did you first execute? We launched in 2017. 2017. Um, immediately, like, just take us through it. Like, what was working? What wasn't working? What did you learn the hard way? What, like, what, what came from this? Let's say everything was working and everything wasn't working. Okay. <laughs> um, no, I think that uh, the the really interesting thing that wasn't working was the marketing because the brands that came in thought that because they now had a present that people would immediately start ordering food at and you know massive. Um, in a massive way because instantly they, like they yeah. thought food would be like but they didn't understand that they still had to do marketing mm. it wasn't different than a restaurant you still need to get out there and let people know yeah Kitchen United would do all the events we would do events outside where we put all the restaurants outdoors and you know uh, introduce the community to this this thing but, right? but even so you're still providing relief to the original locations line so like I'm a restaurant offer sure um, I'm doing a huge takeout. I'm known for my burgers. Burgers travel great. Uh, and all of a sudden, I'm getting a bunch of deliveries. Uh, I can't keep up with delivery in, in-house. I have to shut off all my third-party options because it's just overwhelming my line. You approach this restaurateur. You say, Mr. Restaurateur, I have your solution. You need a second line. You need a line dedicated to delivery. Wouldn't you just... From that point, once they develop their line, all those orders coming through would just get pushed to this new location? Like, Not necessarily because no. we didn't okay. put all the location necessarily next to that restaurant. Maybe Got it was it. next to one restaurant, but we had 10, 14 restaurants, and so the other 14 restaurants could be far away. And our goal wasn't really to just fix what was going on in that restaurant. We put processes in place for them to execute faster. Okay. Uh, we show them because what we did in the ghost kitchens, uh, using that type of equipment, they ended up installing it into the restaurant so that you could actually take more of those orders, right? Give me an example of like the different- A rational oven or an air fryer that maintains, uh, um, you know, fries, uh, crispier, hotter, longer time, and they're better for delivery so that when you get your fri- fries are not soggy. Yeah. Um, so, uh, but then, you know, having a rationale oven where you can actually execute six different type of food in one small oven, With you the- have six different layers yeah. and you can put pizza, you can put salmon, you can put uh, grilled chicken and, and in each one of those layers. They're all in the same chamber, but you don't get a spillover of smell, 
or fragrance or anything. Way more it's efficient com- too. It's computerized. Too. Yeah. You put in the, the recipe, you program the recipe, you pop it in. And so because the pizza is going to be ready faster, you're going to open up that oven. What happens when you open up that oven, you, you take the pizza the out? Right. So what does what does that oven do? It recalculates the time that you lost by keeping it open that five seconds so that the chicken is going to cook, you know, that Just, 10 seconds yeah, more or 15 yeah. seconds more or whatever it might be, right? So you're so, removing the human element, the that's skill. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And, and, and again, and then you needed to know what to do with the recipe where you could actually get the, you know, the technology to do it for you. Okay. So this is way back 2017 before the pandemic. You guys... Yeah. What happened? Like, was that was that the catalyst that really kind of launched this model for you, or was it really humming before this? You mean the pandemic? Yeah. No, no, we were we were up and running and and cranking it. Uh, you know, in Chicago and uh, and Austin and and Scottsdale what, and other what, cities. What way of, before? How? What kind of numbers? Can you share numbers with how you were affecting your clients' bottom line, like percentages of increased revenue or? Uh, more profitable. Do you have that kind of data? Yeah, you know, the only thing I can share is that it, they would be able to put another fifteen percent to the bottom line. Wow. Yeah, it's massive. That's yeah, huge. That's when awesome. you think that the average is eleven to fourteen percent profit in a restaurant, um, you know, the national average uh, profit is between eleven and fourteen. When you can add a, up to fifteen percent more. It's massive. Well, you got to think one of the issues with a traditional business model is that you're limited by how much volume you can do by one, how many seats you have, and two, what the actual ability for you to put through, like your throughput, how much food can you cook in a given period of time. Um, If you can reduce your overhead by just creating lines, and then you basically can the sky's the limit. It's whatever your demand is becomes your potential earning. So whatever, like you can literally make as much as the people want. Yeah, from you. So like it's it literally opens up the roof. It takes the roof off the the house. Like there's no limit. So is that what you were finding? Yeah, and and we're also you know spend a lot of time helping them and coaching them with their menus, smaller menus. Uh, again, uh, cross utilization of items. Uh, not everything travels well, and a lot of this restaurant. I mean, imagine the cheesecake factory. All the dishes they have. Yeah. They have a massive menu. Do you think that everything travels well? No. Not even a little bit. Yeah. So every restaurant has a number of items that I would never send out for for delivery. So do you? How do, when that happens? Do you just encourage the restaurant to not even make it an option for delivery? Just Correct. remove it from that. Correct. Don't even let there be an opportunity for a bad Correct. experience. Yep. Yeah, it's what, better not having it than having it go out and be a bad experience. Give me an example of some of these items, just in case people aren't aware that they might be get running into issue if they have a plan to do a ghost kitchen and have items like this. I think sandwiches was probably one of the biggest thing. You know, you would get tons of great sandwiches. I mean, especially in Chicago, I remember ordering sandwiches from um, one of my favorite brands out there. I'm not going to name it, but it is one of my favorite brands. And when I go over to the store, it's fantastic. It's a great experience. And then I order it for me to be delivered over to my office. And it's just like the whole, all the dressing is sogged up. No, no, no. The bottom, the bottom is an existent. You pick it up and it just, (laughs) it just falls apart. So you have to take the sandwich, turn Turn it over, over, you know, and, and, and hoping and praying for God that it doesn't just go all over the place, which it does, which Mm -hmm. it does. But, but so sandwiches was a, was a massive, uh, massive issue. I, I think, you know, a lot of things that if you don't get them when they're warm, 
at least I'm not going to call it hot, but at least warm. Um, they lose all of their interest and flavor. You know, there's a lot of seafood that, uh, you know, I wouldn't necessarily recommend it for for delivery um, unless it's fried. <laughs> so, I mean, a lot a lot has happened um, since your venture with uh, Kitchen United. I mean, you have. I think from this point on, you got involved with Miso Robotics, a bunch of other robotics companies. Yep. Take us real quick, like we did before with the airplane, kind of get back in that 30,000 feet and tell us what's happened since 2017. Yeah, so this actually has a meaning because from day one, I knew exactly what I wanted. It wasn't enough for me to provide a, a very well-designed, very well-equipped, optimized space for the delivery it was to set up the entire environment. So from A to Z, from the moment that people order to the moment that people that get it delivered at home. Now, if we just focus on the, on the space around making the food, um, one of the things that happens all the time is that you can go, let's just call it in a, in a restaurant. You go to a restaurant, you fall in love with a dish, and then you go back two weeks later, you bring your best friends, and you say, you got to come. We have to go and try that tortellini alla nonna, which is absolutely phenomenal. And you're so excited, and your friends are excited. They have expectation, and you show up, and guess what? The chef is not there. It's his day off or is sick or something. There's somebody else is making it, and it's different, mm. right? Um and let's just take that to the next level. Let's take that chef that has these fantastic recipes and he's doing everything in his restaurant and the food is delicious and now he wants to open a branch across town or in a different city or different state. He's going to hire some talents, but guess what? It happens that his dish that he has created is never represented the same way that he is making it. It's always going to be different. There's going to be somebody that doesn't make it right. doesn't mean every day is done wrong, but some days it's not done right. And so it's a total misrepresentation of that craft, of that chef mission. That's why he sat for hour on hour on hour upon hours designing that, that dish, that recipe. A human will always make a mistake. A human will always be distracted. A human would always be thinking of something or being in a rush or being afraid that he's going to be yelled at by their managers or the, the waiter comes in and say, hey, where is number 10 or 12? Where's table six? And so they get stressed and they make mistakes. So that happens constantly. Well, that doesn't happen with a machine, mm -hmm. not with a robot, not with automation. Once you have taught the machine how to do the recipe, it will do it all the time the same exact way. So that chef knows that the integrity of his recipe will always be there, whether they're in China, Italy, Japan, uh, or you know across the street. Yeah. So at what point, what was going on internally with you to say, I need to pursue this problem? I need to solve this problem. When did that start for you? At the very beginning of Kitchen United. Okay. I wanted to be able to address all of those, and I knew that I had to take it in strides. And so the space was number one. So what was your vision from, if this was part of the, the vision or the you've identified this as part of the problem that you were trying to solve. What was the vision that you're trying to create at this point? I wanted a line that was not necessarily fully automated, but it was working in such a, a way that I call it a cobotic um, as process. As minimal human effort as possible. For the production yes side. And, yes and no. I don't look at it in those terms because it's not just about cutting the labor. It's more of empowering that employee to do a better job. 
Okay. Because as I was saying, so it's a he gets yelled. He yeah. gets yelled at by by other people. He gets rushed by other people. He gets a phone call from the wife that's, that that you know got a ticket or something. So they are under constant stress. There's so many jobs that people are doing. They've been doing for 15 years. They don't even think about it because that's the only thing they know how to do. They do this tremendous menial, very hard to do job. Think of standing in front of a grill for eight to ten hours a day. Their arms are burnt, and you know it's a really tough job. Mm-hmm. And they don't necessarily get paid tons of money. But what now? What about that employee that becomes is not a? I'm going to tell the story. I'm going. I have to yeah, tell please, the story. Yeah, please, please. So about stories. So at Miso Robotics, when we started with Flippy, we hired a gentleman that uh, worked for 15 years in a kitchen and you should see his arms they're all burnt and um you know he came in and he was the guy that we used because he was so talented doing you know the frying of the food to teach the machine to teach our artificial intelligence how to make those recipes right once the machine learns from a human then he can reproduce it and it gets better and better and better every single time so we brought in this gentleman and we hired him it was our first um culinary employees so this man one night goes home he told me this story he goes home and he he goes to his girlfriend hey i got something to tell you she goes what he's like uh i'm i'm not a fry cook anymore she goes oh i knew you got fired (laughs) and and he goes no honey i didn't get fired i actually have a better job i'm getting paid a lot more uh i am not a fry cook anymore i'm a chef tech and i work with robots i'm a robot programmer there you go. <laughs> yeah. there's, there's the goosebumps yeah. again, right? It's like, imagine this man, the, the pride with which he said that to his girlfriend. I'm a chef tech. I work with robots. That's amazing. Yeah. So now we have empowered him to do a much better job. All he does to do is work with the, that KDS and control the machine is doing the right job and then putting the final touches on the dish or handing over the bag to the driver or something. But he's really just looking at how the machine is performing. So it's kind of, it reminds me of the, the role, I used to be a commercial pilot. I mean, I technically once a commercial pilot, always a commercial pilot, but the pilot's job today is eight. They don't fly the airplane. You think the pilot's up there with two hands on the yoke, like controlling altitude and, no, they're putting numbers into a computer and they're telling the computer what to do and monitoring. So you're, we're moving to this point now where technology is getting to a place where your role in the kitchen is basically going to be as a I guess a technician yep. working on the plane, uh, telling the telling the machines what to do and making sure that it's coming out right. Uh, so really, kind of paint that picture of what the new, what this the, this fry uh, tech become uh, robot tech, what a day in his life would look like. He gets to work. What's he do? He makes sure that he stocks the the storage room. So there's hoppers that contain all the different ingredients, whether okay. it's the drumsticks or fries or all of that. Make sure that the levels are lower par. Uh, turns out the machine, making sure that you know he checks all the levels of the oil and you know on the fryer. But the machine is telling him right when you reach the level. The machine is telling them when the the oil is at temperature because you can't drop fries. You know every time that you dump a fry, a basket of fries in the in the dump, you know that the temper is going to go down, right? Yeah. So once you take that out and you're ready to put a new one in there, that, that oil is not going to be at temperature. Yeah, so your, fr- yeah. your, your fries are going to be soggy. So the machine is going to tell you when and how. No, it doesn't tell you. He 
the machine is going to do it. The moment that the oil reaches temperature, the basket is rare there, and Flippy just drops it into there. He knows when to remove it. I mean, he knows when to how shake it. How does Flippy him. know how to do this stuff? Well, I just told you, and it's but the, they learn from that gentleman. But is there any? It's, so is it just is it just a time and temperature? Or are there no, gauges? there's sensors. Yeah, there's okay. there's sensors everywhere, all, all types. Um, you know, there is uh, there's laser sensors. There is camera vision. Um, there is like three different places where we can measure the the food based on the color based on the temperature based on the thickness based you know and so the machine has gotten so uh so intelligent it's only getting better because every time it gets it's collecting data and it's getting more and more well and you can't see inside the food which a cook cannot see yeah now i'm going to give you something better because what you said about the pilots i think that the pilot right the autopilot uh empowered the pilot to do a better job yeah right for sure. A, you, a, there's no pilot on this planet that can right. give you a more smooth ride than an autopilot. Right. So, so this automation is empowering the cook to do a better job. And yeah. I'll give you exactly what took us to the next um, the next invention at Miso Robotics, which is called, is called CookRite. And CookRite is, for lack of a better word, a navigation system for the cook. Okay. So imagine a big steakhouse. Uh, very famous steakhouse where the, the steaks are 60, 80, 100, $120, right? And you go into one of those kitchens, let's call it a, a Del Frisco Double Eagle Steakhouse. Got it. They have 30 steaks at any given time on that grill. Wow. And who do they have? They have something, someone that's been so talented for 20 years that's been working on that grill. Still, right? You know they make a mistake, right? Oh, yeah. Because they have... 10 different type of meat. Yeah. The grill is different temperatures in different areas, right? And and so there's so many variable on that grill, not just the, the, the thickness, but, you know, the timing, uh, the type of cooking. Somebody wants a medium, somebody wants a medium rare and so on. And so the cook has to keep this in mind. And, of course, they make mistakes, right? That's why when you go over to Del Frisco, they, they come over to the table and say, hey, can you cut into the steaks just to make sure it's cooked to, to your likings? And, and do you know how many steaks go, get thrown away every night? A lot. I bet. A lot. Yeah. Because those places serve six, 700 people a night. Yeah, and if it's not right? perfect, it's not going out. Well, or it comes back and yeah. then it goes in the trash or yeah. the waiters eat it, which exactly. I hope I hope they do yeah. um, because they deserve it. Yeah. But um, but what happens there is that it takes one or two of these people constant concentration the whole entire night. And of course, they're going to make mistakes because they're human. Yeah. And, you know, if somebody takes a break and goes to the bathroom and the other guy is watching over, it's like, oh, I don't, I, I can't keep in mind what this guy had in mind. So they just, it's a ten, very tentative, right? So it, it, it's still very human and it's prone to many, many, many mistakes. Now, what's CookRite? CookRite is the navigation system. So you have a KDS, you have, and I'm sorry, I'm using my hands no. so people can't see me. But, You're but you have a KDS <laughs> in, your, uh, in, your, in front of you, yeah. and the cook, all they have to do is just look at a KDS and they see a grid, right? Yeah. Um, and they can see that there is a steak, um, uh, let's call it a, a re- ribeye on A3 that needs to be turned because it's been, you know, it's cooked uh, to the point that it needs to be cooked, needs to be turned. And then it goes uh, B7, it's a it's a fillet and it's done and they need to remove it and let it sit so the, that it bleeds out before they put it in the plate and, and they send it out. Um, that's all the stuff that 
a person needs to keep in mind and what they need to do. Now you have a machine that controls all 30 different stakes on the grill and it tells the employees by color and by prompting, you need to remove A7, you need to turn B6, you need to do this, that, that, that. Tell me that that's not empowering that employee to do a better job. I mean, you can't they know argue. what to do. You I can't mean, using, mess. You're using infrared or infrared. I'm sure you can see to the inside of that yep. steak where it is. Yep. Like, you can't beat that. You can't. Yep. Yeah, you can't argue what the what you're saying. Right you now. can see what's on that grill because that grill in the corner or or where you just took a steak out, it's not going to be as hot as as you think it might be. So you need to calculate that for the timing that that steak is going to sit on 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 that grill. Yeah. So. So that what Cookwright does. And so that's empowering employee to do a better job. So it's not a stress when people's like, where is six A6? Refire the, you know, it's a it's a mess. I mean, if yeah. you work in a kitchen, you know the kind of intensity goes on in there. Yeah. So we got about 25 minutes left together. I'm not going to do a speed round with you. I'd rather keep this free-flowing portion going okay. to the very end. Uh, I want to discuss the economics of this, where, what it costs, where you're saving. Realistically, who is this type of technology in reach of? You know, I want to answer that question. And also, what's the future look like? Where are we going? How soon are we going to be there? What do we need to know? We're going to answer that when we come right back. Find out why past guests like Tender Greens and Kava are using Play IQ for their accounts payable automation and expense management solution. Yes, you heard me right. Play IQ now offers a new spend management feature, which allows you to issue virtual or physical cards directly with Play IQ card. With Play IQ card, there is no credit card check, no minimum balance, and no personal guarantee required. This feature is great for small restaurants who want to eliminate expense reporting for their employees, but cannot get a corporate credit card easily. And I've got to let you know that with play IQ card, you can get up to 1% cash back. That's pretty great. Now, I've told you what's new with Plate IQ, but you can't forget about all the other features you get with Plate IQ, like bill pay and incredible insights and approval of hierarchies. With bill pay, you can seamlessly flow from invoice upload to paying your bill, and this is all happening online, so no more paper checks. Play IQ bill pay lets you see what's due when, and you can pay by check, ACH, or Play IQ card. Also, with Play IQ Bill Pay, you can say goodbye to escrow. That's right, no more flow. In other words, no money leaves your account until it's received by the vendor. We've got to talk about Play IQ Insights too, because I mean, insights are so important. There's insights to allow you to compare spend by item, vendor, time, period, and location. Man, I love some insights. You can even set alerts. For example, if a price goes outside your agreed contract terms, boom, you get an alert. And then lastly, there's Play IQ custom approval workflows. Only see the invoices you need to, no more duplications of efforts, and no more hunting down approvers. To learn more, head to www.playiq.com slash unstoppable. And when you use that link, save 25% off implementation. This episode is brought to you by Diageo Bar Academy, and you've been hearing me talk about Diageo Bar Academy on my podcast for some time now. Uh, Diageo Bar Academy is a totally free resource for bartenders, bar managers, and those in the hospitality industry. 
Today, I want to tell you about some of these amazing new e-learning courses they have available right now. And again, a reminder, Diageo Bar Academy is always free with tons of resources that help you build your skills at your own pace and at any level. So back to these courses, like the two courses on beer category and Guinness Essentials, just in time for St. Patrick's Day too. You'll learn all there is to know about Guinness history and heritage and how you can serve a beautiful, great quality, great tasting pint every time. Learn about different beer styles and even how to enhance your guest food experience with pairings. Or if your restaurant's more geared towards the booze, if you want to learn more about balancing flavors with spirits and food pairings, take the interactive course Spirits and Food Pairings. Knowing what cocktails to recommend for different moments of your guest meal can elevate the dining experience and help your check average. Diageo Bar Academy online courses offer real life skills to help you grow in your career. They are always free, interactive, and each e-learning course takes less than 30 minutes. And you receive a certificate upon completion, which you can view on your profile at any time. To learn more about what Diageo Bar Academy has to offer to grow your career, visit www.diageobaracademy.com. That's D-I-A-G-E-O baracademy.com. Become a member and be sure to opt into the newsletter today. It's completely free and you will be amazed at all they have to offer. That's D-I-A-G-E-O baracademy.com. All right, we are back and I really just want to understand um, economics. What does it cost for me to get involved if I want to open a restaurant tomorrow that has all these tools and and, and like uh, these tools that make us better chefs it's these aids to the, the, the cook right if i want to implement that in my restaurant tomorrow what's it going to cost a depends on the concept it depends on the type of machines that you need but my goal and it's a goal that i share amongst a lot of people that work in this industry along with me is not to sell these machines is to put the machines in the hands of our fellow restaurant people that's a mission for us. Yeah, we don't want to. We don't want to sell them a machine for a hundred thousand dollars. We want to give them a machine and say, "Go ahead and use it." At the end of the month, you pay us a SaaS fee that takes care of the maintenance, takes takes care of the upgrades, of the updates, or changing the menu and this and that and that and that. And then, of course, you know, it's 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 a lease. So leasing you a machine. So yeah, you're based. Okay, so that that makes sense. You want to get the barrier of entry as low as possible. You don't have to pay up front. We're going to help you. Just get pay us every month. Yep. Um, what's one unit approximately? Like what what what's that bill per month approximately? Ballpark. I know you can't give us a cut. Yeah, no, what I wanna, are we expecting? Yeah, I wanna say it's anywhere between twenty five hundred and thirty five hundred dollars a month. Okay. And once you realize that you can cut down your your labor by at least fifteen Fifteen thousand dollars a month. Well, that was my next question. What? How much are you saving per month on labor, and what's that bounce out? Yeah. So I, I, the numbers I just gave you right now are numbers that I just did for one of our uh, one of our new partners, and I cranked it out to where if he pays us thirty two hundred dollars a month, we can save him fifteen thousand. Right around fifteen thousand dollars a month. Is this thirty two hundred a month? Does that include maintenance fees? Correct. So if if my my stuff breaks down, yep. uh, you send the technician. Correct. 
I don't have to pay a single dime. There more. is, yeah. So that's you know, there's also part of warranties. You know, there's yeah. warranties in it, uh, but there's also. Um, regular scheduled maintenance once a month you know people come in and they make sure that the machine is all but it's also a uh, a constantly monitored machine 24 hours a day it knows everything that happens everything yeah. that you, let's say the refrigerator starts acting up uh, and the compressor kicks in like 10 seconds earlier it's gonna we know, know what's up. happening yeah right so it's probably he's gonna send out a message to the operator and say hey, go clean the filter for that uh for the compressors because most likely he's not getting enough air yeah and that's why it's heating up and that's why so it's would, would the order. restaurant owner do this or would a, 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 a tech come in and manage this no that, i mean you to clean a, a filter yes that's that's what you know the operator will get a message Got from it. us to say hey you need to do this or you need to do that uh, and how's the training associated with this tool? Like, it's, it's do I go to miso.com and there's like a step-by-step -step on how to clean the filter or whatever? No, we insert it into the standard operating procedures for the employees that has to tend to it. Okay. Uh, so there's just, you, you also do the training around this too. So yeah. you're not just like saying, here's your $100,000 machine, um, smack on the ass, go get them. You're providing tools Correct. and resources to. to Correct. And the them. best part is this. Because the operator is really the one that needs to understand um, how these machines work. We don't just create these machines in, um, <laughs> in, in a closed room. We go out and we find partners and we develop this machine along with them. Okay. Um, so when we talk about Flippy, um, we went out and found an amazing partner, which is White Castle. And when we started working with them, we were frying two items for White Castle. Now we're frying... 21 different items. Wow. That's because of their expertise. They told us what they needed and what we needed to do for them. And so now they just gave us a contract for 100 locations, right? Um, so so that, that, that's really the value that you get by cooperating with, uh, with them. Same thing for Piastro with 800 degrees. We're reproducing their own recipe. So it's so invaluable to be able to work with them so that we can actually yeah. get the machine targeted to do what they really need. Yeah. So you have uh, for thirty whatever the your 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 monthly rate is. Let's just call it three thousand. Sorry, thirty thirty two thousand a month approximately. Mm. Three thousand two hundred. Three thousand two hundred. Okay, even yeah. better. Wow, Jesus, why did I think that? Three thousand two hundred a month. Um, what about like parts? What if a, a part breaks? Is that covered in this thirty two hundred a month? Those are part of the warranties. Okay. Yeah. Um. When it comes to economics, is there anything I'm missing? Common questions you get, uh, things we need to factor in when we're trying to make this decision? No, you really need to look at a spreadsheet and see the the machine working and see that the machine does what you need to do. And then you know how many employees you can remove from that. You need you can calculate what your waste is and yep. what it would be with a machine, which is almost nil. Does, does my um, insurance go up when I put one of these machines in my apartment? Is is a, a flippy gonna decapitate somebody? No. Okay. With the no, spatula by accident. We are all NSF <laughs> approved. I mean the 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 um you know, to get into that field we had to really go through some rigorous uh, you know, um, certifications, all of that. So no, everything is, you know, the the safety of a room. You cannot get into the space of flippy. Uh, because Flippy will stop immediately. Besides the fact that there are some yeah. blockers, you know, there are some screens, what about so you can't get into it. Getting Flippy into how big is Flippy? Is Flippy like a? Are there restrictions on where this thing fits? It depends. Yeah. What brand are you? 
Well, I don't know. Like, like if I have like a, if I'm working in Boston, you know, or yeah. New York City, and my kitchen is in the basement of, uh, you know, there's tight. Yeah, no, like, it's, am get, I gonna get it in there? No, it gets built in in the space. Okay, so yeah, it, it gets, gets assembled, assembled overnight, okay. in one night. I'm just trying to space. think about anything that might yeah. be a roadblock that I'm not considering that might be an issue yeah. for somebody to consider. If no, and again, the sizes are different, right? So what we're doing with White Castle is one, it's the same concept, but it's one machine. Uh, what we're doing with um, Chipotle, I'm sure you've seen last week, we're only doing their uh, their chips, the fresh chips and, you know, the salt and the, and the lime and, and the frying of them. Uh, so it's different than what we're doing for White Castle. Uh, with Buffalo Wild Wings, it's wingy. Yeah. It's not flippy. It's yeah. wingy. <laughs> for Chipotle, is chippy. Yeah. Um, so uh, and you know, so that 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 is very different. But you know, the machines have become smaller and smaller. When we started, we're much bigger. It would have been hard to get to retrofit a restaurant. So if we were building a new restaurant, it would have been easy to just install it. And, and can I reserve? Can I reserve Zoni if I ever open a Calzone restaurant? Uh, yes. Just put that on reserve for me. Yes. You heard it here. I called it. But, you know, you asked me earlier, What's was that? that one important thing that I want people to get? That's really the mission. Yeah. To getting machines into the hands of the operators because they're they are me. Yeah. They're all me. I feel like I'm, I'm in the same place and I was in the same place. And I know if I can provide something that empowers them to do a better job and getting more money stuck to their bottom and providing them a machine without an upfront cost that is untouchable, you know, that's that's what I want to do. Yeah. So the question that just came back into my, my mind, do you need to answer that? No. Okay. The question that just came back into my mind is, is there a concept that this works best in as far as like what is the ideal restaurant for flippy well um a big burger chain right yeah um that would be i'm thinking one thing really well like doing one thing really well like you don't want flippy to be doing a bunch of different things you want do you want to execute a a, a menu with like 250 items on it no no absolutely not okay no it's it has to be you know if you're doing uh, burgers and fries and then, then all the fried food great that's yeah. perfect like so white castle is perfect but Got it. but but just think you know when we spoke to chipotle they were like yeah we love we love what you're doing but if you can fix this for us right now and do the chips that's a massive win for us yeah so we went out and, and one, did it one thing at a time right yeah, and, and I'm sure that we're going to be working with them on a lot of other things. You know, we have a couple of other big brands that are about to be dropped in the next, you know, two weeks and then again in another four weeks. So what do you mean by big brands, like restaurants or new robotics? No, no, no. Uh, brands of restaurants that we're going to be working with. And every That's time specifically Miso Robotics going to yeah, be working with. Yeah, and every time you, you solve the the a problem for a restaurant, you create a solution for a restaurant, you can use that solution in other verticals, other restaurants. So you're only going to get better, right? Sure. Yeah. Um, so the one thing I did want to talk about before we say goodbye, what's the future look like, man? What's like a lot of people who are listening to this, they're like, what about jobs? What, what's going to happen when, when restaurants are losing jobs to robotics? Like what's, where are people going to get their money? What's the future look like? Who says they were losing jobs to robotics? Well, some people might. I'm not saying that, yeah, but like, no, to no. that, to no, that no, argument, right. what's the answer? Right, and it's a question that I get asked every single time, yeah. and I have my answer, and it's a pretty long answer, but we don't take jobs. We actually create jobs. Yes. Our industry has created more jobs recently 
than any other industry because you still you need people that need to design they need to do R&D they need to build them they need to maintain them they need to install them they need to program reprogram and they they we have people that stay on it as a constant monitoring 24 hours a day to look at what these machines are doing so we have created a number of jobs that are for the production and maintenance of this machine. How many? Now, sorry, go, go back to the restaurant. Yes, maybe we took one person out of that line or two people out of that line, but what we have done is that we have created a job for that one person that's on there that's getting paid more. It has a better job. It's a much better longevity. You don't have the turnover of the employees, so you save money there. Uh, you have a lot less waste, so you have a better return, which means that you can pay your people more and then because of all the issues that are going on right now where you cannot find staff for your restaurant what you're going to do you can take the best employees that you have the one that love you that haven't left you because they drank the kool-aid they are your biggest uh fan and you take those people and you put them out front and you let them interact with your guests and create that hospitality because they love your restaurant. They love everything that you do. Now, they don't have to do the hard jobs anymore. They can do the fun jobs of being out there interacting with the consumer. Are you familiar with the term resource-based economy? Uh, no. It's this idea that things like food and shelter eventually are going to be free because of this idea that most jobs are going to be gone. Um, most jobs that are basic jobs are going away, like cooks, dishwashers. These remedial jobs that are entry-level jobs are going away, so there's going to be less opportunity. Uh, you, you might be you might be creating better jobs, but are there going to be as many jobs is the question because we can do much more with less, right? So if that is the trend, what's the government going to do to compensate for these people? Are we going to reach a place where things like food and shelter are free because that's the only way to compensate for those who can't get jobs. I, I don't believe in that. I don't share that enthusiasm for it. I think that we are constantly going to create new jobs. And I believe that there is a net net that is positive of jobs that we have created versus the one that we've taken away. Yeah. Um, I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing if we if we hit a resource-based economy and things like food and shelter are free. If you look at that, those are the most basic needs. When you're paying somebody, most of their money is going towards food and shelter, you know, like their liability, the things they need to survive. Sure, but what does that for the intellect? What does it do for the intellect? Yeah. So the argument is that when you if you have people who no longer have to go to work and worry about dumping fries and picking fries up and flipping burgers, what human bandwidth are you opening for potential to solve world problems? How much human energy and mental bandwidth is lost to that? Well, I think we've seen what happened during COVID. The people were staying home and watching Netflix and play PlayStation. <laughs> and then when the restaurants reopen and the, uh, you know, the employers ask them to come back to work, they say, Psst. I'm sorry, I don't want to do that crappy job anymore. Yeah, They don't want to do the job. When you look at Starbucks that's closing at 1.30 in the afternoon in New York City because they don't have employees, it's crazy. Yeah. When you look at a company like Papa John that's incredibly successful and it has to close early at night because they don't have enough employees, that is crazy. Mm. 
And it's happening everywhere. You can't find a busboy in Hollywood for $20 an hour. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's just, it's mind-blowing. Yeah, I can't remember. I, I struggle wrapping my mind around it, too. I really do. Um, I mean, we're, we're getting close to the end of our time here. Uh, I did want to make sure we didn't talk about your other projects. You, you, this isn't, Miso isn't your only, you know, venture. You have other, you're involved in other robotics companies. Do you want to? get those out now well yeah paestro for sure because my baby you know uh the dream of uh, having a machine that makes a fantastic delicious pizza uh fresh right in front of you right get one of these things while we're in town where do we go to get one no you can't get it yet no 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 it's uh we're we have set a few machine into our um our corporate partners and we're testing it along with them because again we need to be perfect when we go out because it's 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 not good enough to have a robot that makes pizza if the pizza is not delicious right you're not going to go back you're going to have it once because it's fun but then you're never going to go back so that is there's a lot of work that goes into it but the fact that you can go and stand in front of a machine and you can watch the ingredient that you picked falling onto your pizza and they go in the back and get cooked cut and boxed and you can get it in less than three minutes that's fantastic so is is paestro the name of the robot or is that the name of the band that the brand that's going to be surrounding the robot? we have a band uh but i don't <laughs> recommend that you go listen to that uh just kidding um no paestro is you know we we're a white label for for brands Got it. so it's not important for us to put out a paestro pizza that's yeah. not what we want to do so we want to create a solution for each one of the brands that we work with so where can i find one of these when's the is there a goal a date on the calendar that you think this thing's gonna be operating yeah you'll see them out uh, early early next year um most likely it will be um under the brand 800 degrees yeah do you have one yeah. of these things that could do you have a, a calzone uh I don't Astro have a, yet. I don't have a, a Calzestro. A Zonestro zone yet? Yeah, no, I don't have one of those. I yet. want to be part of that development when that happens. Yeah. I'm interested. <laughs> um, I've had a lot of fun talking to you. Um, one question I ask all my guests before we say goodbye uh, the mission statement is to inspire, empower, and transform the industry. Uh, what do you think needs to transform in our industry? Where do we need to go? How can we be better? I. I think this has been talked over and over and over in the last few months is to really understand that our employees are the best thing that we can possibly have and we need to foster their growth. We need to, uh, when we hire them, we need to talk to them and show them where they can go. It, it doesn't mean that it doesn't have to be a, a, a you know same job over and over and over for the next 10, 15 years. Um, you know, one thing that I always told everyone that I hire was, um, show me your colors and I'll paint you a picture. I love that. I really want to be able to show people where they can go and what they can do. All and even when people are non-believer, like our good friend, all, all good friend, Jason, that was a non-believer, became one of the most talented people, surpassed me in every possible way. Um, and I was, I, I, I am just very grateful that I was able to get him to stick around and and apply his talent to this industry yeah. because he's brought a lot. He's to this a smart industry. dude. He's talking about Jason Berkowitz, past guest on the show. I had Jason on the show the last time I was in LA. I think that was in the six hundreds or maybe early seven hundreds episodes. If you guys want to just check out Jason Berkowitz if you want to listen to his story, really 
great guy. One of the reasons why I'm here talking to you. Uh, Jason said I needed to talk to you. Then Troy Hooper called you out uh, on the episode that we recorded while we're out here. We were able to connect with you. Thank you so much for making time for us. Let me ask you, who do you respect and admire? And if they were a guest on the show tomorrow, you'd be like, ooh, I want to listen to what this person has to say. Who's that for you? That's why you're here. Yeah. Um, it's not that I want to listen to him because I listen to him every <laughs> single day uh, for hours and hours. But I think that your audience would probably get a kick to talk to one of the most talented, one of the most passionate, one of the, um, I, I call him my best friend. Uh, his name is Jeffrey Cult. He's my co-founder at Kitchen United. Okay. He is the man that transformed Las Vegas from a gambling town to a destination for the greatest chefs in uh, in the world coming into Las Vegas. And that's when people started going to Vegas to actually have amazing food. Uh, he was in charge of the chef collection at the Wynn. Uh, open Bellagio with Steve Wynn and, and, and the whole entire team over there but he's he's transformed the industry many times over and to be honest with you um, Kitchen United would never have happened if it wasn't for Jeffrey Colt. Jeffrey Colt, Lookouts, I'm coming after you. I'd love to get you on the show and how can we connect uh, with you or one of your companies if we want to learn more? Uh, go on LinkedIn. You'll see. I'm I'm very <laughs> open on LinkedIn. I get I I interact with people. I I am one of the people that um, is joyful. That is excited every time I see somebody accomplishing something. Yeah. I I love to cheer for people, even if my. People might think that they're in competition with what we do, but I never really thought of competition as anything better than helping us getting better, improving ourselves and challenge us to become better people and better operators and better parents and better uh, friends and so on. Um, but but I, I, I love going on, on LinkedIn and seeing people signing deals and doing this and coming up with a great idea and starting new businesses. That, that's exciting to me. That's why I go on LinkedIn. I love that. And uh, Pi Astro, uh, Pi Astro, uh, Miso Robotics is misorobotics.com. Pretty straightforward. Does Pi Astro have a website? Yeah, piastro.com. Piastro.com. Uh, and we'll link to those in the show notes as well. And that will have your LinkedIn link right there in the show notes as well. Uh, we mentioned the episode number at the beginning of today's show. So whatever the episode number is, head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash that number. We'll have a summary of, of today's discussion as well as any tools. Uh, services mentioned in today's show uh over there waiting for you thank you so much Massimo, for coming on the show for for sharing your story we are so much better after listening to you there is no questioning you are unstoppable thank you kindly mr cacciatore thank you for <laughs> hunting me down <laughs> my pleasure cheers there we go. Another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. Thank you so much to our guest today, Massimo. And what really stood out to me was how seemingly affordable it is to get involved with robotics in your kitchen. One thing that I've noticed on the show as far as good practice when creating a strategy for your restaurant or your, your business plan is doing one thing really well. And coincidentally, that also seems to be where robotics are strongest right now is just focusing your energy into doing one thing and creating systems, AKA robots around doing that one thing really well. So this is interesting. I'm really excited to kind of follow where this goes and we can choose to be terrified by this or we can choose 
to embrace it and to be an early adopter and to reap the benefits of, you know, taking the first step before anybody else, you know, lowering those, those labor costs. And I'm not saying the whole world is going to be this type of restaurant, but it's definitely going to be something that we see more of. And if it's a vertical you're interested in, now's the time to get involved. So if you guys are interested in learning more about Miso Robotics, we actually have the chief strategy officer joining us live on Wednesday, May 4th at 12 p.m. Eastern. Uh, so that's next week. Uh, this week, we have some stuff going on in the network that you might be interested in, too. So last week, we had David Dressler on the show, and uh, we covered the book 10-Year Plan, co-authored by David and his business partner, Eric Oberholter. Well, Eric Oberholter was a past guest on the show as well, and he and his his new passion and his, his new passion project is basically educating restaurateurs on biodiversity and regenerative farming and how important it is. I think it's so important that we know where the food we're serving comes from and how our purchasing decisions can influence the future. And hopefully he can educate us on how we can be a part of the effort of kind of fixing our broken food system. So that's going to be Wednesday at 930 a.m. Eastern time. Wednesday the 27th and I would love to have you guys be a part of that conversation we're also continuing the work we're doing with Bob Sloop from Kaizen Management we're onboarding a network member to uh, we decided to go with Compete and if you're interested in Compete which is also owned by Restaurant 365 I should point out uh, they're going to be one of the same soon then you come join that conversation and be a fly on the wall and see what it's like to onboard with these enterprise solutions. All right, guys, that's it for today. Thanks for sticking around this long until next time. Peace out.